another another episode of the aspiring adult podcast and today we're going to be talking about the rat race or corporate america and what it's like to be experiencing corporate america in today's society and also just in your 20s in general because you don't really hear that much about it and you don't really hear how people balance their life. I know I had a podcast episode or earlier in my first season with Claire about working life balance and navigating that. But I think that this even goes beyond that. So there are so many choices that you make around your career and this is something this is a topic that I didn't know whether or not I really truly wanted to dive into at this point in in the game but I've decided that this is the route that I'm going to be taking in today's episode so buckle down it's going to be an exciting one there's some interesting news that I have to share some exciting news that I have to share or that I get to share, or that I am going to be sharing. But to begin, we first begin with our career by, or how I even got to the topic of career and why I chose to talk about it on the podcast, because why are you talking about the rat race in career when this is a spirituality and emotional intelligence podcast? Great question. We're going to get to that. So it is no, it is not lost on me that you need money to survive. And typically people like to do that with things that they enjoy doing, right? So you're not going to do typically a job that you hate just to get paid. It's an ideal scenario to do what you love and get paid. And that kind of comes from this mantra from this book that I'm currently reading called so good they can't ignore you. And I recently was recommended this book by my mentor or someone that I've been looking to for guidance at my company. And in reading it or in listening to it, because I am an audiobook kind of gal lately, because I like to listen to the mile workout so that way I can learn while I'm improving my body. So I'm improving, I'm working at my mind and my body at the same time is essentially how I view that. So if I'm listening to a book or if I'm listening to a podcast while I'm working out, we're really getting two birds stoned at once. And it's really productive, I think. So highly recommend that. So if you listen to my podcast during the time that you work out, there you go. You're already, you're already into it. So I started listening to the book. And at the beginning of the book, it said that it was a lifestyle and self-help book. So good. I can't ignore you. And the book is about building a career. And when I listened to that, I don't know what happened, but it struck a chord in me that why is my lifestyle my career? Why is that something that's coming of my identity? And so I kept listening to the book and I was like, okay, this is interesting at least. And it makes sense that as you work on something, whether it's 
an a, example that they use in the book is Steve Jobs discovering that he's passionate about Apple before he even realized that he was interested in technology. And it's basically about his career and how he became very passionate and how Apple became very successful. Amazing story, great story, but again, it's about his career and not necessarily anything outside of that. So I went to my mentor and I let him know that I was kind of scared by the book that he recommended because it identifies your entire being as revolved around your career. And that was just definitely something that I was not ready or not wanting to accept or not wanting to hear or not something that I'm incredibly interested in identifying with. Again, I, I'm not, it is not lost on me that we all have to work in order to provide for ourselves, but life is a part or work is a part of life. Life is not a part of work. And what I mean by that is I don't ever want to feel that I'm doing everything in my life because it revolves around my career, which is what brings me to my next point. So I talked to my mentor and let him know that I was scared of this situation that was going on in my mind because of the information that was being bestowed upon me by this book. And he was kind of confused and puzzled by what I was really meaning by what I was saying. And I think that he didn't, I think he thinks that I don't understand what the book is about, but that's not necessarily the case. The case is that the book is about building a career on something that you're, that you become, or the book is about building a career about something you might not initially be passionate about, but you get so good at it, you become passionate about it, right? Okay, but again, still about career, whatever. So that conversation with my mentor and that book itself really reframed my mindset on career. The conversation that I had when I was on family vacation with, and one of our tour guides that we were with asked me what I did. And without even thinking, I just immediately started rambling off my job description. Oh, I build rapport with customers and I help strategize with clients on how to increase their revenue and blah, 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 buzzword, buzzword, buzzword. And his jaw kind of opened and my brother's jaw opened and they both turned to me with their head cocks to the side with a very puzzled look on each of their faces and the tour guide asks, no, I meant what do you do in life? What do you do for fun? And in that moment, I was beyond embarrassed because I could not believe that I allowed for that to become my identity and the value that I provide to this world or the value that I feel like I hold. And so it was very reminiscent of that conversation. And I even brought that conversation up to my mentor. And that was also, I think, a little bit lost on him as well. And then I kind of realized that that response 
is because every decision that I've made up until this point in my life has been so career oriented and it's kind of horrifying to think about. So recently I moved to Boston, obviously, and I moved here without ever visiting. I never saw Boston before. I knew my dad lived here for a period of time and that I still have some family members that live in the Boston area. But I've never been here. What did I know about Boston? I knew that it was a hub for engineering. I knew that it's a hub for venture capital and startups. And what are the two things that I was interested in pursuing as careers? Engineering, venture capital, and startups. So seemed like a natural progression as to why I would want to move there. Did I look up anything about the culture? No. Did I look up anything about the people? No. When I heard people tell me that it was expensive, did I choose to ignore them? Yes, I did. Am I now suffering the repercussions of that? Yes, I am. But anyways, I decided to move to Boston for my career. And once I realized that, I then started wondering, well, when did this all begin? When did I decide that my life was going to revolve around my career? And I think the problem is, is I didn't decide for my life to revolve around my career. I think when people ask you at a very young age, and I can vividly picture when I, it was a picture of me on my first day, I was wearing a cute little khaki blazer with an embroidered horse on it. And yes, before there's any additional follow-up questions, I was a horse girl and no, I don't No, first of all first question that you're going to ask. No. Second question. No, I'm not embarrassed of it because I wasn't one of those horse girls that like ran around at recess pretending that they were a horse. I actually rode horses. Like I didn't have my own. I wish that I did, but I went to like horse camps. I like seeked out the ability to ride horses. I didn't like pretend to be one. Okay. I think there's a distinct difference. And mine was that I was more on the equestrian side, even though I don't consider myself to be an equestrian. It was moreover that I enjoyed riding them as opposed to being one and pretending to be one at recess. Okay. So just want to cover that. Not that I think that there's anything wrong with being a horse girl, but I just know that there's a lot of flack that's associated with that and a lot of bad connotation. And I'm here to stand up for horse girls. So let that be known. But anyways, so I was wearing my amazing khaki blazer with the embroidered horse on it. And it was my first day of first grade. And my teacher took a picture of a, of each one of her students, printed it out and then put it with when I'm, when I grow up, I want to, and on it said ride horses, obviously. I live in Boston. I don't know if you, any of you know, there's not many horses here. Ah, shocker. There's, I mean, Paul Revere's horse. There's a lot of, there's actually, I take that back. There are a lot of horses, but there are, 
there are statues of men riding horses, not actually real horses. I don't think I've seen a real horse in the city at all. So that's first to note. But anyways, I obviously don't ride horses. And so you might be wondering, okay, so what's the connection here? Like, what are you talking about? What are you rambling on about? The question was, what do you want to do when you grow up? Or what do you want to be when you grow up? Is something that we're so frequently asked as children. We know nothing. What am I going to tell you? I want to be a customer success manager. No. No. I don't even think college me would have told you that. Mostly because I didn't realize that it this career existed. But... The thing to note is we're being asked at such a young age and it shows us that there's value put on what we do with our lives in terms of our career. Because, I mean, why would I, if you ask me what I want to do when I grow up, why would I dream of working? Why would that be something that I'm interested in doing? That to me doesn't make sense. I would prefer to do something that I am passionate and interested in. And so we see that in first grade that I'm interested in being in, in riding horses. Like that is what I want to do when I grow up, ride horses. Then you see in second and third and fourth grade, more of a progression to actual jobs and largely around doctors, lawyers, and engineers. Coincidence? I think not. I think that being that we realize that there's such a large emphasis placed on careers, we realize that there are specific careers that people value more than others. And those are lawyers, doctors, and engineers. And is it a coincidence that those careers also pay the most? No, it is not. And they get paid well for good reason, obviously. It is not easy to be a lawyer. It is not easy to be a doctor. It is not easy to be an engineer. Hell, I was an engineer for six months and I couldn't continue doing it. So it makes sense, but at the same time, as children, we don't realize that that's why there is such an emphasis on being those professions. And we're rewarded or ooed and awed when we tell people that that's what we want to be when we grow up. And I can remember saying that I wanted to be an engineer or a doctor because I am interested in medicine. I am interested in engineering. Those are both things I'm interested in. But not... I didn't realize that I was choosing those things because that was the response that I was getting. Or I I actually do think... I do think that I was telling people that that's what I wanted to do because that's the most attention that you get as a child. You get asked, oh, what kind of doctor do you want to be? Rather than when you tell people that you want to ride horses, they're like, oh, that's cute. Why? Like, and so 
telling people that you want to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer obviously solicits a way different response than when you tell them that you want to ride horses. And so you keep doing that. And before you know it, you're finding yourself, you're manifesting this, these things for yourself. So elementary school, and you've been asked this question years and years and years and years because you've been asked it in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade comes around. And this is kind of when you start realizing what the world has to offer in terms of how you can differentiate yourself from other kids in the classroom. And this is because this is the year that you get to do exciting projects like science fair. So with science fair, I always picked things that I was not interested in, but I knew would get good responses. So uh, one that I love to do was bacteria cultures and incubating bacteria cultures. So that way it was, it was the stupidest thing because you literally not stupid. I was incubating bacteria cultures because I would, my brother did it the year before I did and solicited a good response from the people reviewing his project and thought to myself, okay, well, if he got good responses, I might as well do it. So what did I do? I ordered my blood auger plates. I created a pseudo incubator in my basement and I decided I was going to run some experiments on strawberries and keeping them at different temperatures in your fridge. And I don't know what there was to gain from that. Was it insightful? No, but I got a lot of oohs and ahs about how to conduct a scientific experiment that was beyond just how many popcorn kernels pop in a bag of popcorn on average. Like that's the quality of project that I was up against when I had my bacteria cultures sitting out in front of you to look at. So the more sciencey and more medicine that I got, the better responses I got. And so the more that I leaned into that and then we get to middle school and there's a huge motion towards STEM and we get a new STEM program. So naturally being that I want to end up as an engineer or a doctor, I signed up for the STEM program. I'm doing all these STEM classes, doing robotics. I'm doing circuitry. I am doing the entire engineering process in middle school, which is so fun and how I actually ended up falling in love with engineering or the engineering process as it is. I just like that the entire premise of engineering is to fail so that way you can get better. I just like that aspect of it. But anyways, so I got involved in that in middle school and was really rewarded for it because not many women or not many girls wanted to do math and wanted to do science. And so I got an extra big thumbs up, gold sticker, amazing job, Sarah. And 
words of affirmation is my love language. So you betcha I kept that up. And was I the best at math? No. My dad would sit down with me at the kitchen table while I'm sobbing, explaining to me why 49 divided by 7 was 7. It is actually 7, 7 times 7 is 49. And I just, I, I didn't get simple math concepts. I truly still don't. And it was something that... I kind of realized in college that I never learned simple math, which is how I ended up just being bad at math. But I was not good fundamentally at engineering, but I didn't want that to stop the positive affirmations that I was getting. And I didn't want that to prohibit me from becoming an engineer because that's what I get oohed and awed at. That's what I get ogled about. Not necessarily because I was in love with it. I mean, I loved the idea of the engineering process and I love the idea of helping other people. So then high school rolls around and we're still able to do these science fair projects. And I decided, all right, I'm going to stand out from my classmates again, do a science fair project, even though it's not required. And I'm going to do it on an articulated hand, which is essentially... A modified version of a prosthetic hand or a basic version of a prosthetic hand and I'm going to calculate the tension and the torque of the fingers and we're going to move it as if we're moving an actual hand and that's going to be my project and that to me was very fulfilling and I very much so enjoyed doing that and decided, all right, I'm going to become a biomedical engineer. This is what I'm going to major in. This is what I'm going to be when I grow up. So then I go and talk to a biomedical engineer at the Cleveland Clinic. And he was unusual in the sense of he was a mechanical engineer and got his medical degree in biology. So not necessarily what we might think of today as a biomedical engineering major or a biomedical engineer. And his advice to me was to select something from my articulated hand experiment and focus on what I enjoyed about it and make that my major because biomedical engineering was too narrow. And I was like, all right, sure, cool. So that's what I did. I took his career advice. And when I graduated high school, went to college to major in mechanical engineering. And those were probably the hardest four years of my life. I'm not sure if I was interested in doing anything else or becoming anything else or becoming the best version of myself or becoming any version of myself besides for the accolades that I saw online and the versions of people that I thought existed in college. After college was over, I graduated with my mechanical engineering degree and immediately became a mechanical engineer. Again, moving to Boston because at this point in time, I now had developed an interest for startups and venture capital and had developed an interest or maintained an interest in mechanical engineering. So decided, and biomedical engineering is huge in Boston. So if that was something that I ultimately wanted to get into, I could easily navigate in, into that. So I thought, 
it's a lot harder. Those MIT and Harvard grads really gobble up all the jobs <laughs> as an engineer. So yeah, that was fun. But I came here because I wanted to be on that same career track. And as soon as I switched out of mechanical engineering, and I know I've talked about it before, but I had such a difficult time switching over from mechanical engineering into a customer experience, customer success role, because when you tell people that, you don't get oohed and awed anymore. And I lost that ooh and awing that I've been getting since I was in elementary school. People don't ooh and ah when you tell them that you're a customer success manager. People kind of just ask, okay, well, what is that? So when I switched over from engineering to customer success, I lost all of that steez. I lost all of that status and I lost a lot of self-worth and I really struggled and I still struggle today with telling people that I'm just a customer success manager, not no longer an engineer. So that is something that I still am struggling with now. And after coming to this culminating realization that all of my life decisions have been made about my career, I realized that it was time for me to make a decision for myself. I know deep down inside me and not so deep down inside me that Boston is not the city that I'm supposed to be in. I am not the best version of myself while I'm here and I'm struggling to be the best version of myself and feel accepted by other people in this environment. It's been extremely difficult to make friends here. And this has all been validated for me because I thought maybe I need to get out of Boston and just quit my job and do something else. And so started networking with people on my LinkedIn network and asking them what they're doing, what they're up to, and predominantly people that studied at Miami University, moved to Boston, and then left. So the common theme with those people is that every time I told them that I was leaving Boston, they were not surprised. They they said that they experienced the same things that I experienced that it was difficult to make friends, that the people were cold and the weather was cold. And I think that a lot of people in Boston acknowledge this. And I was just talking to one of my roommates today and she said, yeah, so many people are leaving Boston. So many of my friends are leaving Boston and they're just happier. So I think Boston is not for me right now. And maybe one day it will be. And I would love to see Boston one day be the city that I'm supposed to be in. But for the time being, it's not. And I finally decided to make a decision for myself. When we know what we want to do, knowing when to do it is the hard part.
And that for me really hit home because I can know I want to leave Boston all I want. But me making the decision to actually do it and put myself first instead of my career, instead of, all right, well, if I tell my boss that I want to leave Boston, am I going to have to look for a new job? Am I going to have to be remote? Am I going to... I had all these follow-up questions, this entire flow of things. And I thought, you know what? I'm never going to know if I don't want to be here until I'm not here and I want to come back. So I was tired of waiting. And after talking to my dad, my brother, my best friends, I decided to tell my boss or ask my boss rather if it was okay if I worked fully remote and moved back home. And he gave me the thumbs up and I told him that it was because of my mental health and that I need to go back home, which is true. I am struggling mentally here. I feel drained. And so I think going home definitely help alleviate a lot of that. So I think that the easiest thing for me to do was to go in, have the conversation. But I think it was even easier for me before the conversation to try and talk myself down from doing it. I would, and let me backtrack. So I talked to my dad. I talked to all of my friends thinking that I would get a response different than they all gave. I was expecting them to say not to give up on Boston. I was expecting them to say, stick out your career at your company. I was expecting them to say everything that was pro-career because that was what was so ingrained in my head. And when they were all so supportive of me leaving... I felt like I had to make an excuse as to why I couldn't. And I think that that is the easiest thing for people to do or the easiest thing for people pleasers or recovering people pleasers to do. So that way they don't have to do anything that's self-serving. They want to people please their boss. They want to people please their dad. They want to people please their best friend. And making a choice to move based on your own wants and your own needs is something that I felt very uncomfortable doing, but ultimately something that I decided to have a conversation with my boss about. So today I had a conversation with him and asked if I could work remotely and move home, to which... To my surprise, again, he was okay with. So I'm finally doing something for myself. I'm finally putting myself first. I'm finally choosing myself. I'm finally choosing something other than my career to put first. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of scared because, again, as a recovering people pleaser. I'm thinking back of, okay, well, maybe I just didn't go to the right places to try and make friends. Maybe I would feel better if I lived in a different neighborhood or the list kind of goes on. 
I really could have done so many different things, but I think the easiest thing for me to do is just leave. Because what I've experienced in my two years hasn't served me. And I came here not because I thought I would love the culture or love the person that I would become. I was obsessed with the idea of becoming a career woman and making my entire life about my career, making my move about my career, my relationship about my career. I think the hardest part for me, in addition to all of this, is that I moved to New England also knowing that my boyfriend throughout college was from New England and the two of us could potentially be a power couple in Boston. But that relationship is not now. And I can't wait around for something that I think is going to happen in the future. Similarly with my job, I can't stay in Boston just because I want to end up in venture capital one day. I don't want my decisions to be about the future as opposed to the right now. I'm unhappy and unsettled now. What is the point of me persevering and potentially getting into venture capital? My whole life has just been this build-up to career and being the best part of my career and hasn't been in the moment, in the now. So that's what I want to do, is be in the moment, be in the now. And that's why I am confident in my decision in leaving Boston And I'm excited for this new chapter. Sad to see this one come to a close. But I'm really looking forward to treating myself with a little bit more care going forward. So thanks for listening to another episode of The Aspiring Adult. And this week I challenge you to do something that's serving for yourself and not serving for your career. So... I'll check back in next week, and thanks for listening. Bye.